Hello and welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode 5 of the Overthrows podcast. I'm your host Bairam Kazi who you can find at defmango on Twitter and with me as always is Jared Kimber who you can find absolutely everywhere. We've got some people in the comments. Pav Ashwin Mascarenas and Swami Nathan Ramesh Sashi. Yeah, we know it's very late. That's because I'm covering the PSL and Jared was covering the game India England test match in the morning. So, I, I mean, would have had to broadcast for about 15 hours straight if we'd done it in any other way. So, uh, yeah. you know, we, we did what we could. I've had a nap. I'm awake. Let's let's do this. Yeah, and the last time I did it pre-game, I was in a rush after. So, this time is the only one that worked even though we got like 10,000 super chats last time. So, maybe in the future we <laughs> should do this earlier. But anyway, let's kick it off with uh, India versus England of course, the obvious candidate and uh, India clawed their way back into the Ranchi test and won it by 5 wickets on day 4. They were trailing by 140 odd runs at the end of day 2, Jared, and they only had 3 wickets in hand at that time in the first innings or their first innings, and they also had the knowledge that they'll be batting last. So, they have now won 17 consecutive test series on home turf, and that is a massive achievement, isn't it? Yeah, I can't remember was it Sid Monga someone wrote the article was it KK was it Barrett and that was one of my friends anyway <laughs> wrote the article going this is incredible like enjoy it and I do feel at times Indian fans have not enjoyed this as much as as mm. they should and you know I I use this parable a lot when talking about Indian cricket I grew up in Australian cricket when they were really good and we did the same thing we just didn't a lot of us just didn't enjoy it we were mm. oh you know this player should be in or Um, maybe they should be winning even more games, right? Like, you know, all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, why aren't they winning in India? Um, and then you look back on it, you're just like, oh my god, this is absolutely awesome. You know, so so happy to have it, but because it might never happen again. Who knows how good India will be for a long period? It looks like they're set up to dominate for a long period of time, but you know, Bumrah, Ashwin, and Jadeja disappear, and and Kohli and Rohit go, and the next generation doesn't live up to mm. that, and things disappear. So, I, I think. It's a, it is a very special achievement. They were tested certainly what the second and the fourth tests quite quite a lot. They didn't have their best players available. There were injuries, there was pregnancies, there was you know mothers, you know everything was going on. I think it is fair to say that it's a, a very very good effort even if we know the England team is spasmodically good. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because India did have a lot of adversity in terms of resources available in this test series. Yet they've come out on top. They've won the test series 3-1. The last test is going to be boring much to the dismay of both you and I who have to cover these things. But uh, you mentioned all of those senior players that of course when they, you know, quit cricket, there will be this gap. But they had a, you know, new cricketer come up trumps in this one. Dhruv Jurel, 90 mm. in the first innings, very crucial. He's the reason why England's deficit was cut down to under yeah. 50 which was absolutely imperative for India to win this game and then he also scored tough runs in the second innings an unbeaten 39 when the ball was doing things in ragging square and it's interesting our uh, colleague Ari he was sharing some anecdotes from Dhruv's story so his father was a war veteran they did not have a lot of money in order for him to buy his kit bag his mother had to sell a gold chain so another amazing story uh or origin story and then also prior to this test match he spent 140 hours batting in Rajasthan Royals high performance center and he batted on different kinds of spinning surfaces and he's only 23 so this guy is remarkable 
Do you know what? Just that last bit, Ben Folks did a really, really similar thing. Um, ben Folks apparently went and got um, the, the Oval Nets. Very expensive place, the Oval, right? You know, uh, very well funded. Their nets are dreadful. It's the wrong surface. I don't know who decided on it. And so, especially when you're playing spin, you have to tr you have to put other things down. And apparently, um, Ben Folks and Gareth Batty were going around stealing rugs and and cloths and stuff to be able to do this. So it is incredible that the two player two wicket keepers who've both gone on to be successful in different ways, um, you know, really prepared a lot further than maybe some of the other players did. I'm not, I'm not having a go. Lots of players were uh, uh, on that level, but no, you're right. I think. Without wanting to get, you know, too nuts about it, he probably came in when the pitch was slightly more in his favour at times. The, you know, or the, not the pitch, the ball. Once that ball mm. got soft, you know, the ball was ragging and keeping low and all sorts of things, and then it would get soft around the time he would come in, and it's like, oh, why, why don't you guys just play like this? But both both tests now, we've seen him just look really composed, really smart. Uh, everything moves in the right direction. All those little things that you like from him, and as you said, it's a brilliant story about you know uh, coming from from that position, being desperate to play for play cricket. <laughs> you know, I'm not not sure that all young cricketers should um, make their um, parents um, sell their jewelry, but uh, <laughs> it's a good story nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, if he didn't make it, then that was not a good decision at all. But that's the thing. If if anyone wants to watch us talk about all of this origin story stuff, there is a Footmarks podcast. And you should go check that out. It's called One in Ten Million. So there you have that for that. And uh, let's go to the fourth innings. You know, England are uh, back into the game. They've got India 120 for five. The ball is doing things. It's not easy to bat out there. It is turning. And Shubman Gill, who scored an unbeaten 52 in that innings, and also Jurel, uh, once again, with a score. They weathered that spin storm. And uh, yeah, I mean, how crucial was that partnership? Because... Even at that point, this this game could have turned around in England's favour. Well, when Jadeja came out, I thought he would probably just try and blunt the ball until it got soft. It's it's kind of what he does best. There's, you know, all the talk about his batting, actually, probably what he does best is, especially on Indian wickets, is just that ability to hold in until the game comes back into his favour. And, of course, straight after lunch, he hits the ball <laughs> to the fielder and Safraz is out not long after that. Um, so it could have gone very, very poorly. Shub McGill, I thought from the minute he came out, looked like the most comfortable player on that wicket. It's incredible how many runs he makes in the fourth innings compared to all the hmm. other innings in first-class cricket and everything else. And That's certainly true. before this test, it wasn't something that I was massively aware of. Um, and both his stuns came in the third innings as well in the series. Oh, well, one one was a 90-odd, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. But yes, I, and, and you look at first-class and that completely holds up. Like, he is much better as the game goes on. But I just thought he came out to bat he looked like he knew what he was doing. It's also, if you look at the two players, they were very different because Shubman Gill comes out early. So he's hmm. uh, using his feet, coming down, trying to smother the ball as much as possible. Whereas Drew comes in when it's a little bit softer and he's like, I'm going to play back and late um, and, and do that. So they both went with very, very different methods. Yeah, one more wicket and who knows what would have happened. Hmm. I thought if India could get to the 35-40 over mark with, with um, you know, three or four wickets down, they probably should win pretty easily just because at that stage, I didn't think in England could keep the pressure on from wickets. They did actually slow the scoring down, again, because it's hard to hit a friggin' orange. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, just this wicket, once the ball got a little bit soft, it's so hard to, um, it's so hard to smack it away. Um, so 
in some ways, England had the artificial pressure of the fact that there was no boundaries between whatever it was, the 15th and the 45th over. And some of that was artificial and some of that was good cricket from the, the fields that they had in. But then the other side of that was that they, they, the ball wasn't ragging anymore. It wasn't, even when it was keeping a little bit low, it did so slowly and everything else. But the pressure of the situation sometimes dictates everything else. And Shub McGill and Drew um, Jarrell both thought of, of different ways of playing and handled it very, very well. And one more wicket, and you're into Ashwin, um, and then and then you're into you know um, the all rounder Kuldeep. Yeah, and uh, I mean, amazing how those two players they kept their composure and uh, saw uh, India through, and and they won the game anyway. Puneet Garg has sent in a super chat. He says, "Why does it feel that India won with an inexperienced side?" It shouldn't feel that way. That's just reality. It says experience. Did he make an experience? Oh, an experience. Sorry, I read that wrong. Why does it feel like that? Well, I mean, I don't know. Um, I mean, they almost coughed up the 186 chase after. They basically got two great starts in the innings. If England hadn't bowled a bunch of filth on on the third night, uh, I'm not sure where this chase would have gone. And then... I thought England bowled okay in, on the next morning, but the pitch just came on better. I don't know if the light roller helped or there was a little bit of moisture around, but it just came on a little bit quicker, which meant that a little bit later on, you suddenly had the wicket. Um, uh, when, when, sorry, when the when the wicket started to spin a little bit more and bite a little bit more and and, and react quicker, it wasn't that long after that the ball got soft. So <laughs> India actually had a, a fairly good... I thought they looked fairly nervous at times, Um you know, Pathadar and Safaraz, uh, you know, uh, came and went pretty quickly. But it was a good comeback from where they were. I mean, both teams in this game came back from positions that you usually wouldn't come back from to put, you know, lots of pressure on. Like, you know, England at lunch on day one and England again in this fourth innings. And certainly India went from being massive underdogs in this game uh, to favourites. There, there's a point at which I was trading this game. Um, I, I, you know, I will talk about it one day, what I've been doing uh, as an experiment. But I was trading this game and I did come to a point where I was just like, I just need to get out of these trades because I have absolutely no idea what will happen in the next over, let alone in a day and a half time. Um, so it was, it was a bit crazy from that perspective. Another super chat. Uh, you guys are feeling quite generous today. This one's from Bart8881. Says evokes vibes of the 2018 India tour of England when the scoreline hid how close the contest was. Also, friendly tip: Ash and Ashwin is like Ash in Usher. Yeah, I, I do know that, but Ashwin just always comes out. I don't know why. Um, yeah, the 2018 um, series. I, so I was working in the CPL. Was that something that you spent a lot of time watching? I kind of followed it quite closely, but I didn't watch it live. Uh, was that something that you watched? The CPL this year. No, 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 no. The 2018 India-England tour. I have watched almost all of them. But uh, yeah, probably would. I, I never miss, miss an English summer, I, I think. Yeah. Uh, so that was the, is, that is was the one, one in where... which Kohli scored lots of runs? I think this is the one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a you know fantastic series. And in India were in it um, emotionally, morally, mm. all the way through. But the, oh, I remember you know... it now. This, this is the Sam Curran series. Of course, I remember it. Yeah. 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 He, he scored lots of runs. So, so quite, you know, I think it's quite similar. Someone mentioned that to me earlier today as well. And, um, that was my, and I was like, yeah, I, I completely get that. You, you feel like both teams were in it, but essentially the home team's going to get through. I think, um, it might've been one with Harmy and Harmy was saying today that like, uh, you know, th 
right as the teams are currently playing, and he's talking about the injuries and everything else. Like you could see how England would go back and win this series in in England at the moment as well. Um, that is quite it's far more even than I think we all thought it was. Whereas I think most of us thought that India were just going to absolutely dominate. Um, yeah. Another super chat. Yeah. This, <laughs> this time it's from Anish. I, I know Anish always frequently visits and, and thanks for the money, Anish. Why is it so hard to accept the defeat gracefully? Bubble in, in uh, a 15-minute interview. He Oh, Bumble said in a 15-minute interview he might have used these conditions at least 15 times. Well, I'm not part of the English media right now, so Jared can speak better to this. He's been working I'm, with Bumble. I'm not part of the English media. I thought Bumble was sick this week. I didn't even know he was talking to anyone. Um, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. The thing is, when, when you ask questions like that, we have to actually know what the context is. And yeah. um, a really, really fun one. So today, I tweeted out about the third umpire thing, where I think again there was a protocol issue, and mm. that we should have specialist third umpires and everything. Have a look at a bunch of the comments, just ab like whacking me for being English. I'm not English. Right? <laughs> I don't care. And and in this game, that same protocol happened against the Indian team and then against the English team, right? Yeah. Too many people, when they're looking at these comments, are, people never study their own biases when they talk about other people's biases, right? Mm. Uh, yeah, if you are biased in your own lens, other things will appear biased to you. I go through this all the time. You know, I get slammed by both Pakistanis and Indians for I don't even know what reasons because they have those biases in their head, I believe. I, I get I get um, bashed by cricket nations. I don't even know play cricket yet um, for being biased <laughs> against them or for them. So look, you know, when it comes down to it, I think it's um, uh, who knows what Bumble was talking about. He might have been trying to make a point about uh, you know specifics or everything else. He might have been talking about what Harmy was talking about, which is we've all been a bit more surprised that England have been in these games, and and it'd be really interesting to see when they come back. And I, I think. I think there are some times when you go, come back to ours and we'll be, and that's not what people are saying. What people are saying at the moment is this is probably a series where India is on top, um, largely because it's being played at home and that both teams have played, well, uh, I was going to say both teams have played better cricket than we expected. I suppose India haven't because they haven't had a full team, but considering the lineup of India and all the injuries and other issues uh, that we've seen uh, with India, um, you know, they've outperformed and their younger players have outperformed what we thought. England's players have certainly outperformed what we thought. Um, and so it's been fascinating. But yeah, I, I, I can't really answer on, on, on anyone else's comments because um, I didn't hear them and I don't know in what context they, they were from. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, my next point becomes a lot more spicy now because on that same note, I, I barely caught any of this test match. I'll be honest, I watched a few clips here and there. I'll take you through so, a ball by ball. So what happened? <laughs> but anyway, I, I was following it, you know, consistently. Mm. And I was reading what people had to say about it. And I tried to stay in the mix as much as I could. Uh, what did you make of the Ranji pitch? Because I saw some deliveries uh, stay ridiculously low. And for God's sake, I'm not saying that India won because of the surface. India won because they were the better team. So don't attack me, guys. Well, no, but, they almost yeah. lost because of the surface, you could argue. Because it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, look, it had massive cracks on it. And you shouldn't have cracks on day one. You shouldn't have a ball running on the ground on day one the way that it did. I did think, though, as we were talking about before, it did react a lot more. It reacted at two different times. Sometimes it would react more, it seemed, when the sun was up. And, and you see that in South Africa sometimes. The sun comes up on cracks and they kind of open up a little bit more. Um, I, I've heard that in Western Australia as well, but it's something they talk about a lot in South Africa. And 
that that was one time that the pitch reacted, and the other time that the pitch reacted was when um, uh, when the ball was brand new at times. Right? Hmm. Again, I think there's no. We talked about this on a previous uh, on a on a, a scoreboard at one stage. I can't imagine anyone from India said, "Can you give us a pitch with a bunch of cracks on it?" Because it's just too random. Right? My guess is they asked for a specific pitch. That groundsman had made two first-class wickets in the last four, five years, whatever it was. Um, there's only ever been 20 game, first-class games ever played there. You ask a curator to try and do something on a surface like that, and any small thing goes wrong, look at what happened in Cape Town. And that was a much more experienced curator. I think it just, I think they wanted it to be a bit drier, and it cracked up. The weird thing is <laughs> that there were times when you were like, oh, my God, this is impossible to bat on. I don't know how anyone's going to score 20 runs. And there are other times when you're like, the ball's hitting the middle of the crack and nothing was happening. Like it was so, it, so, so I do think from that point of view, it looked worse than it was. Hmm. Um, I mean, we went, what, halfway through day four? And if you look yeah. at what happened to Ben Stokes' ball, not the second innings one. Second innings one was, was a little bit different. But that first innings one where you just like, when a ball keeps that low early on, that's a, a really hard way to be able to handle your batting, I, you know, I, I think. But that wasn't the whole game. Like, right after the Ben Stokes wicket, Root and Folks batted forever. <laughs> so <laughs> so it was weirdly not one-dimensional, even though the surface, if you look at it, would have suggested so. And yeah, that, yeah, that is interesting. I, I don't think so. I've ever seen that one before. Anyway, another super chat by Naveen Paidi. Excuse me if I've butchered your name over there. Uh, is this the closest an overseas team has come to winning a test series in India in the past decade? And should we partly credit Bazball for it? Well, there's that Australia series in which they won in Pune, right? Yes, that's good. That's good call. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they probably should have done better in, in the last test as well. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure they should have won that series, but uh, they, they, I suppose they had a chance um, of hmm. winning that series and, and probably gave it away in that final test. So theirs went into the end where was it one all coming into the fourth test? I think I think that's right. They won in Pune. They yeah. lost in Bangalore. There was a draw in Ranchi. Yeah, I'm trying to remember my my itinerary from that <laughs> from that uh, flight uh, from that um, series. Um, so they had probably a slightly better chance, Naveen. Um, but yes, I think other than that, England has been the next best team against India that I've seen in that time. I'm, maybe I'm missing a series, but my memory is kind of watching India just dominate most other sides. Um, England did win the first test in Ahmedabad, was it? Yes, in, it was. Yeah. Was it Chennai or Ahmedabad? Yeah? I think it was Ahmedabad, yeah. Yeah. Um, in, what was that now, 2019, 2020, 2021? Hmm. Who knows? These things play each other every eight minutes. It's hard to remember. But <laughs> really, that was the only time that this – series looked anywhere like it was going to be a um uh sorry that was the only time that series looked like england were going to actually win a game whereas if you go back to you know in, even in bangalore australia had some chances and as i said that last game they should have had some chances so yeah uh should we credit partly credit baseball for it yes of course Do you think the team that lost to the west indies in the west <laughs> indies would have turned up here and and been in a situation to almost win three out of four test matches my god do you remember that i think People must just have the shortest memories of all time. I've mm. traveled around the world with this England side. They were, I, I remember sending my mate a message, my mate back home. He was saying, you know, how's it going with TalkSport and, and where are you at the moment? And I said, I think TalkSport have decided to pay me to travel around and watch England play test cricket poorly. <laughs> right. It, and I, you know, th even when they were good, they were ordinary. 
It's so much different. And yeah. Ollie Pope's innings in the first test doesn't happen without baseball. Mm-hmm. Tom Hartley's selection in the first innings doesn't happen without baseball. The other stages when England have been in front or had a chance just don't happen without baseball. Now, they would play very differently and maybe they still, you know, it, this isn't a full strength India side. It isn't, you know, fully chugging forward the way that you would want it to. Maybe the other England team would have um, done something. They wouldn't have been. They wouldn't have had a chance in three of the four matches um, without baseball. That I, I just yeah. you cannot convince me of that because I spent so much time watching that frigging team. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I, they won what one out of seventeen? Was it? That's what it was, right? Oh, it was Before one out baseball? of a million. I don't know it was bad. <laughs> it was really, really bad. Uh, anyway, Swami Nathan Ramesh Sashi says hot take. Uh, DJ, who I believe is Dhruv Jurel, will be the spiritual successor of Virat Kohli. I have no idea what you mean over there. I mean. It seems like a push, doesn't it, that he's going to... I mean, I, I just think... Um, uh, <laughs> I just think it was... Um, like, they're very different human beings. I think that... I mean, you've paid for this, and we're going to talk about it, but I, <laughs> I don't see any... I remember seeing a young Virat Kohli and thinking he'd be the best of the Fab Four because he felt it felt like, to me, he was incredibly driven as a player from the first time I saw him in the IPL, which is probably the first time I saw him. Um, Drew Jarrell... Really organized, great-looking cricketer. As I said, I like the way he plays. I'm not seeing that kind of, I'm not seeing that kind of inspire the nation. Um, but who knows? Who knows mm-hmm. where players will go? Uh, Dave O'Brien says, "When was the last time England won in the West Indies?" Though, yep, that's very true. But Dave, they had uh, David. They had played in games where they had played better cricket. They had won um, Test matches in, in in West Indies. They had. They just looked dr- that that series, and I've covered them play in the West Indies three times. I think off the top of my head. That last one was as bad as I've seen them play. They were ab- It was absolutely pathetic, some of the things they did in that. And I saw that I was at the ground when Roston Chase took eight wickets. Um, so I, I know everything. <laughs> All right. Another super chat. Shri says, uh, should England, I think he sent in a correction. So should England um, prepare on flat, not so flat conditions or should Pakistan prepare on not so flat conditions? I think it's Pakistan, it? isn't it? He means, yeah. Oh, Pakistan should just quit with the flat pitches. I don't understand them in the first place. I mean, they're yeah. literally shooting themselves in their own foot. They had all the success in the UAE because they'd bat really well for the first three days and then the ball would start turning on day four and day five. And they had this, you know, template mm-hmm. of winning test matches, rose to number one in the rankings, and then they came back home. And whenever, or ever since, I suppose, that Ramiz Raja tenure, we saw surfaces in which basically you'd only have to be Stokes' England kind of force results even australia uh, found it really hard to win a test match right exactly i remember i did a video about how when pakistan came back they basically came back at the same period they left so <laughs> the draws the amount of draws that were being scored, were being played was i think 2008 9 10 sort of period it was probably even before that if we're being honest before but that. that um it, like lots of draws around the world pakistan had a few extra draws and they came back and no one was playing draws anymore mm. um and pakistan was um yeah pakistan just need actual proper pitches right going ahead i mean that's the um they, they, i don't no think win. anyone would argue that mm-hmm. dr ayush johan with the 60th super chat of the day do you think <laughs> there is any future for pujara rahane to make a comeback in the test side given the need of some strong steady and experienced batters i mean you've got some promise over here don't you sarfaraz did well in the his debut test Dhruv Jurel just did well as well. Uh, Patidar hasn't come off, but he's been a touch unlucky at times, even though what he bagged a pair at this one, right? Or maybe Did he get a pair? I was at him uh, folk, he got uh, maybe. One duck. Maybe the to other be honest, one was there was, a... there was so much going on. I, 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 <laughs> do you know, I think um, Ashwin was on a hat trick 
And huh? India forgot about it at one stage in this game. I'm just saying there was a lot going on. Uh, look, yeah. I mean, the Pajari, uh, Pajari, Pajari, Pajara Rahane <laughs> thing. Um, they've got KL Rahul, they've got Virat Kohli, and they've got Rohit Sharma. It, as long as those three players are available, I can't see them making a sudden move to bring in another experienced player because they've now got the younger players coming mm. through as well. Yeah. I mean, Shubman Gill is finally firing at number three as well. Kohli's going to be back. Rahul's going to be back. They've got a lot of players at their uh, disposal right now. No one knows 2024. What would Dawn's numbers be in T20s? Oh, haven't we done a podcast on this, Jared? I don't know if I've ever gone into Don, what Don Bradman's numbers would be in T20. He'd, pro- he'd, probably, he'd probably be 55 to 60, wouldn't he, with a strike rate of 150. I'm trying to think, what's Warner? 45, 145 is my memory of his numbers. So you would think that Bradman would be, what, 55, 155? Bradman was an incredibly fast scorer when he wanted to be. Um, and if he grew up in this era, of course, he would hit more fours and, and sixes. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Vedant Khan Zodeh. Again, excuse me if I've butchered your name. Based on these four tests, who can lead uh, the spin attack for England? Leach, Tom Hartley, Rehan, or Shoaib Bashir? Leach will come straight back in. They know Leach mm-hmm. can, uh, he's much more experienced. They know he can bowl everywhere. I mean, whether it be fit. I think he's under the knife soon, or um, mm-hmm. he might have actually already had the operation. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, Leach is uh, certainly someone who um, is, a, is a possibility of if he's fit, he'll be fine. We don't know what Tom Hartley's going to do on flat pitches. Rayan Ahmed is probably, at this stage of his career, more of a part-time option. Uh, Shel Bashir, very, very raw. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I like him and Tom Hartley, I, I really like in these conditions. It's a bit like Matt Kuhneman, right? We we have to see more of them. If you look at them compared to Todd Murphy, so those three bowlers I just mentioned, Kuhneman, Bashir, and Hartley, none of them had success on flat wickets in the West. Todd Murphy did. So we have a bit more to look at Todd Murphy and go, do you know what? He should be able to come in and, and, and do that. So Leach will come back in. He'll bowl for a little bit. They've got Moriarty as well. The, the thing is that Tom Hartley's not a better bowler than Moriarty. I can promise you that. Moriarty might be the one to take over from Leach um, based on form and, and, and what, what we've seen so far from him. And Rayhan Ahmed, if they can get him to be a number seven or a number eight. And I think he made his first class debut batting it or... I know he made 100 in first-class cricket, batting at number five for Gloucester. Hmm? If they could get him to bat a, to be a handy number seven with, you know, I suppose it doesn't work with folks, but maybe outside of England, they could have um, Rayan Ahmed bat number seven and then have number six um, as a, you know, a wiki-keeper batter. Um, there's, there's something to be said, I think, for... Um, uh, th- there's something to be said for uh, Rayan Ahmed playing in that role, but I don't think he's going to be a front-line bowler. I feel like they will be tempted by Hartley, though, because he can bat, and that's an English thing, isn't it? That you kind of strengthen the batting order, yeah. and oh, someone yeah. can just toss a few overs, right? Can, uh, can right, field Ahmed, as well, right? Like, he's a proper yeah. athlete. Yeah. Ahmed Asrars uh, asks, as a, reverse, uh, as a reverse migration, do you think it's time for Senna teams to hire an Indian as head coach? Hmm. Not an Indian. That's, that's an interesting. Anyone from world cricket that isn't, a South African, a New Zealander, or Australian, really. I mean, so w- we really haven't seen that many. I, I thought, um, uh, oh God, what's his name? The West Indian coach. Um, Phil Simmons, the old one? Phil Simmons. Phil hmm. Simmons kept winning World Cups and didn't get job offers anywhere, right? Hmm. Um, you know, we have seen 
Uh, I mean, I reckon Mahela, if he wanted to be an international coach, would be one that would break that. The one thing I would say is that I think coaching really developed in England and Australia, South Africa, New Zealand quicker than it did anywhere else. Mm. Um, you know, England already had always had a very strong cricket co coaching culture, but it was kind of not at the international level. But you know, there was you, I, you could go to private academies and and training. Do you know what I mean? There was always coaching around. Australia then, of course, by the 80s, completely takes over um, world cricket on the back of Bob Simpson and coaching, which they basically brought in from rugby uh, league and uh, Aussie rules, that kind of more mentality. Then, And from that, you see New Zealand and South Africa follow suit almost immediately. It took a little bit longer in, in, in even in the West Indies and, and, and some of the other, and Zimbabwe and, and some of the other Asian countries as well to kind of follow suit. So there is a difference, but yes. Uh, nothing bothers me more than so many times. The only time a team will hire an Asian coach is as a spin bowling coach, right? That's or true. A spin or a spin playing coach. And I'm like, mm. they could do other things too, right? Like <laughs> I always think if you're a Western team and you've got like Jimmy Anderson in your team, who's the best bowling coach? It's probably, I'm not, I'm not saying Javagal Srinath, but it's probably someone like Javagal Srinath, right? Who knows how to get wickets in other places, win bowling scene. That's true. Right? Jimmy Anderson doesn't need to be told anything. Um, uh, you know, he doesn't need David Saker then. No, I'm talking about now, telling him which lengths to bowl or whatever else. But he could use Zahir Khan or Wazim Akram or, you know, or, or and it, I, I'm talking about former players, but it could also be coaches who have those same skills, right? I, I thought one of the best things that Australia did was they went to India in 2017. That series we're talking about before the Pune one. Uh, and they took Sri over as like a consultant. And he's been pretty much with them ever since. And I, I think it's it's just, it's getting knowledge from a different area. And there isn't enough diversity in cricket coaching in general. Um, it, it Too often you see a coach will come in and then all the assistant coaches will be from the same country. It's like, I get it because they've worked with these people and they know these people and everything else. But actually really what you want is players with different backgrounds coming in um, all the way through. Um, yeah, this must uh, be who was the... Hmm? You were saying? I was going to say, this super chat, I hope, is for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's definitely for me. What a bonkers 19th over in the PSL today. So random. Yeah, so I don't know if you caught it, Jared, but Islamabad United needed 21 runs off the last two overs with like six wickets in hand. And uh, Arif Yaqub, who was a club cricketer till not long ago, he kind of rose to prominence in the national T20 competition, which is Pakistan's, you know, other domestic T20 competition. Then he played some first-class cricket. Got a PSL contract and today he took four wickets and gave away two runs in the 19th over and Peshawar won the game. So that was one of wow. the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in the flesh, live, let alone, you know, televised because I was there at the Gaddafi. And yeah, I mean, uh, I'm chuffed for the guy because, uh, again, we talk about all these individual stories. Origin stories, yeah, yeah. This guy had no business being here and he's won Peshawar Zalmi a game of cricket and everyone knows his name now because it's not like Pakistan is flooded with spin bowling talent. Right? No, no, so of course. <laughs> um, I, I think one thing that there's a lot of traditional cricket fans who don't like T20 cricket. And I understand that they may not like the format. They may not like the cheerleaders. They may not like the maximums, whatever. They may not like the fact that it's going to eventually probably eat um, traditional international cricket. They may also not like the fact that they're called maximums. I've, I've seen a lot of tweets which are like... Well, that's what I mean. That's what I meant. That's, <laughs> I meant the name rather than the sixes. Although they may not like the sixes as well. Yeah. Um, but... But you know, you you watch um, 
you watch some of these series and, you know, players like this pop up and, you know, we've had, we have club cricketers from Australia and, you know, random guys in New Zealand giving, given second chances and a school teacher in England and all this sort of stuff. And, and, you know, Ali Khan and, and, you know, uh, Hayden Walsh Jr. And Mm -hmm. just these random stories that T20 cricket has really allowed for people to follow their professional dream a lot more. And, um, it, it, it should give us more of these stories of, I don't think cricket's been particularly good outside of maybe like new, or maybe even not even New Zealand, but of that sort of finding guys between the ages of 27 and 29, because for national boards, it's like, if you're not in our system, like we're almost not interested in you. Whereas if you're a franchise team, you're like, we need to, find, what, you're telling me there's a postman, um, you know, in, in Abu Dhabi who has a Sri Lankan passport and, um, and he's whacking balls for six everywhere. Can, can we, can we get him in? Is he any good? And can we get him a trial and have a look at him? It really, I think it has, the ability, and we've, with women's cricket as well, just has the yeah. ability to change so many lives of players who probably fell through the cracks and clearly were talented enough in the first place. Yeah, I mean, if you'd ask Arif Yakub what he'd be doing in February back like four months ago, I can guarantee you he would not have said he'd be playing the PSL. Also, just on that earlier conversation, who was uh, Ravi Shastri's uh, deputy, uh, the bowling coach, Bharat Arun, was it? Yeah. Yeah, so he could be someone that could be hired, right? Oh, uh, mate, that's what I mean. The, I, the last 10 years, especially, the talent has come on, especially with all these franchise leagues. Like, you know... it. There are so many people out there with good knowledge, mm. uh, you know, from academy coaches right across Asia, um, all the way through. And and I do actually, I like the idea of of mixing diverse skills and talents mm. and backgrounds into into one system. Um, you know, I've worked in places where everyone is kind of the same uh, from a cricket perspective. I don't think that works as well as getting people who challenge each other and think completely differently about the game. Um, I think that's the best way forward. Uh, and that's what you should be looking to do with your with your cricket brains trust. Yeah, I think diversity within a workforce is not just a good thing in sport. I think it's good yeah. all over. You know, I think the fact that you get all these different perspectives, it really helps one grow and broadens your horizons and all of that. Anyway, we're still not done with Indian England, but I think we should take a break, Jared. You're watching Overthrows with Jared and Behram. We'll be back after this short break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Overthrows. You guys are with Jared and Behram. And, well, what what a surprise, Jared. We've got another super chat. So let's take that. Oh, my God. And let's okay. go back to Indian England. I think you guys are breaking a record tonight because we've never had these many. Swami <laughs> Nathan Ramesh Sashi, who was in a very generous mood today, says, I'm losing bets on the Kalandas. Will they ever win? Dude, what are you doing? Stop wasting your money. They don't have Rashid Khan. Harris Rauf is injured as well now. Uh, they have like five top order batters in there. Don't, don't, don't waste your money like that. If you would ask me, I would say bet against the Kalandas, <laughs> even though that's not a good rate anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you won't get good odds of that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, coming back to India versus England, uh, I actually saw your tweet and I was really surprised to see this. Rohit Sharma scored a crucial 55 runs in the fourth innings and that was his highest ever score in the fourth innings of a test and second no, not 50 a, not in a his test. entire career. First class cricket. No way. Yes. That is wild. I so know. He only had one other 50 in the fourth innings in first class cricket and now first this is his cricket. best score. So Soham from CrickViz was helping me on TalkSport. And he sent through this um, uh, graphic that I, that I was reading on air because it had all the England, in, Indian players in the fourth innings in India. Mm. And Neil Manthorpe and it might have been Alex Tudor or Steve Harmison, but they're both looking over my laptop because I start reading out these numbers and they're like, what? 
why none of these guys mm. make runs in the fourth innings? And then they, and then I can't remember if it was me or Manners, but we saw um, Rohit Sharma and it, you know, it said like 15 innings in the fourth innings. And, and I, and, and Manners is like, well, how long has this been? And, and was, and I was like, oh, I don't know. I didn't ask that. I just assumed this was career. And then we'll look and it's like, it is career. He'd only played 15 um, or 16 innings in India, right? So I didn't then, I just thought, wow, he hasn't played that much. Maybe he hasn't made any runs in the fourth innings. doesn't mean anything. But it never occurred to me that I should actually go and look at his overall record in first-class cricket. And then today, um, I think it might have been Soham again, who sent me the message going, uh, this is uh, Rohit Sharma's top scorer in the fourth innings of first-class cricket. And it was like, wow. he was like 53 at that stage or whatever he was. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And then you look <laughs> it up and you're like, that's absolutely remarkable how you can play as much professional cricket as Rohit Sharma. A, play as little fourth innings batting mm -hmm. as he actually has. And B, be absolutely putrid at it as well. It's I've just, him and Shulman Gill, their fourth innings records completely stunned me during this match. Yeah, they're like polar opposites of each other. But hey, it's a good time to get your top score in the fourth innings, you know, win the Definitely. series versus England, which was quite tight and well. I mean, even when they would were, went out to chase 190-odd, you know, they wouldn't be as comfortable as, I don't know, 100. Because it's still dangerous territory on a, on a, in a fourth innings on a surface like Ranchi. And uh, Yashasvi Jaiswal is another person who scored some runs in this game and has been scoring runs for fun this entire series. In fact, this was kind of a failure for him, this test yeah. match, because only he only scored 110 runs, 73 in the first innings, 37 in the next. I remember in the last Uncovered podcast... Someone asked us whether he has a shot at beating Don Bradman's record of most runs in a five-match test series by an individual batter. And that was 974, if I'm not wrong. He's at 655 now after those runs uh, in, in Ranchi. And uh, I mean, can we really rule out a triple hundred? Can we? So I did uh, a video today, which will be up on the main channel very, very soon. I think Muku's working mm -hmm. on it at the moment. And um, so... <laughs> If you follow the NBA and you follow Nikola Jokic, every time he does something, so in the last three games, I think he's had something like 25 points, 15 rebounds, and 15 mm. assists in all three games, right? And every time he does something like that, there'll, there'll be like there'll be a, um, a, a stat will come up and it will say, not since Wilt Chamberlain, right? So much so <laughs> that there's a, there's a website in, in um, DMVR which covers um, Denver sports, and they sell a T-shirt called Not Since Wilt with Jokic's um, <laughs> body on it because it just happened so often it's remarkable how often you hear not since will we're getting a little not since don with Jaiswal. Mm -hmm. like his conversion rate uh, i mean he failed in his conversion rate here so he, he, he's he's now closer to bradman with his conversion rate than he's ever been before i mean um, if he had scored a ton in the first innings he would have scored 150 plus we know that exactly <laughs> and then and then on top of that you've got his first class average where he's also like don bradman areas like it, it does. I've always been really upset when we throw that kind of term onto a player like like Phil Hughes. Oh, you know, he's the best since Bradman. It's like, is he? He's probably not. I do understand it with Jai Swell. I saw um, Shield Berry. Talk about Shield Berry has played more shots this series than anyone in England. Um, I don't know. Everyone's talking about baseball. Shield Berry's just been throwing things out. He called Joe Root the worst shot in English cricket history. It wasn't even the worst <laughs> shot that Joe Root played in this series. Um, and he also um, he also had Jai Swell on his top ten, 10 Indian batters of all time already. Hmm. And then said and then said Sachin wasn't number one just to like at literally um, pour kerosene <laughs> onto the flames. But 
you know, I can understand some of the hype and, and everything else because I do think this is a special talent. And I don't want to say he's the next Bradman because I don't think he is. But the truth is that every time I look up stats about him, Bradman's name is not that far away. And and I think mm -hmm. that's worth that. It, it may not last. Who knows what will happen when he travels around the world, when he, you know, gets his first pimple, you know, when a girl breaks his heart, when he gets dropped. I mean, or no, he probably mm -hmm. won't go. But when he goes for a bad run of form, you know, um, I always... I remember Michael Clark coming in and I don't think anything negative ever happened to Michael Clark before in his life. And he went through a form drop and he did not know how to emotionally handle it. He just didn't know mm. all these different things can happen to, to stars. What, what happens when, you know, um, you know, Bollywood actors want to hang out with Joe Swalt every day and all that, all the other sort of stuff that comes with, or he has more advertisers than I was going to say Virat Kohli, but that's not possible. Is it? But, uh, yeah. then Rohit Sharma, uh, and yeah, all those sorts of things, but he's a phenomenal talent. Let's, let's be cl very clear on this. Yeah. And I mean, uh, the numbers prove it. And I know this is a home series, but you know, there are out outrageous numbers. Like he already has 655 runs in four test matches. He's got two double tons, even in the test match in which we saying he, he theoretically failed. He's got 73 and 37, right? And, and that just goes on to show, uh, just how much of, uh, you know, um, talent he has and, and the form is just exceptional. Anyway, uh, let's come to the bowlers. India's bowlers first, of course. And uh, 15 wickets fell to spin, unsurprisingly. Ravi Ashwin had looked uh, out of sorts in this test series. Even in the first innings, uh, he took a solitary wicket. But he came back and he took five in the next. And I mean, I was reading this interview. Uh, I think Crickinfo had this up. And he was talking about this adjustment he made, you know, looking at the ranchy surface and how there wasn't a lot of bounce because he has overspin, you know, Ashwin. Mm. And he kind of started to apply side spin, which is such an Ashwin thing to do, to kind of figure that out midway in a test match and change your approach. Do you think that adjustment ultimately won India this test match? I mean, maybe. It was It was funny. I, I noticed the ball... They did a couple of close-ups of the ball out of his hand. I was just like, that just doesn't look like... And I didn't realize he'd made an adjustment. I actually thought he was just getting through his action a little bit more. And I was like, there's, there's real bite on it, all these de deliveries. He went through England, their top order, with straight balls, right? So uh, he can, basically Ben Duckett, I don't want to get too nerdy, but Ben Duckett is trying to play him outside the line. And so by doing that, Ashwin knows all he needs to do is spin a couple away and then keep one straight. And the chances are that Ben Duckett's going to um, spoon it to short leg, um, and, you know, he's already been in some trouble with that. Or, or leg slip is another option with that kind of mm -hmm. ball. And then with Oli Pope, Oli Pope's just a terrible starter. And I think he bowled a little bit faster and a little bit flatter and went through him. It, it, it actually nutmegged Oli Pope. So, look, our Ashwin was sensational. There were so many people asking if he was finished. This is why you don't get rid of players of this talent. You know, I mean, you could make an argument for Shubham Gill as well. But certainly with Ashwin, when he's done everything that he has done, he may not be the same physical bowler that he once was but Shane Warne did pretty well at the end of his career when he wasn't the same mm -hmm. physical bowler because by by this age that that level of spinner has just learnt so many lessons and if he did make an adjustment mid-game you know it probably has won India that match yeah and uh, you can expect that from him and if someone over here wants to know more about Ashwin and his career and Jared and I talk about it. Well, there's an entire Footmarks podcast on that as well. The Ash wins. We were being funny. So go check that out once we're done with this one. So yeah, six wickets were Ash wins in that uh, tally of 15. And then Jadeja picked up four in the first innings and one in the next. And uh, in the final innings of England or the third innings of the game, Kuldeep also picked up four. 
Do you see Kuldeep now replacing Akshar in that trio, that spin bowling trio that India have in home surfaces? Because Kuldeep Ashwin and Jadeja sounds terrifying. <laughs> I think it makes more sense than Akshar and Jadeja playing together, just because there are times when it's just like, are we giving Akshar a bowl just because he's there rather than there's a reason to give him a bowl? And, and also, Cool Deep doesn't need as many overs as, as someone like Akshar does. Finger spinners generally take longer, uh, you know, to get their wickets. Mm. With Cool Deep, you give him a couple in the middle, you give him a couple when nothing's happening, and then you let him bowl to the tail, and, and that is, should be more than enough for him. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a better trio. You lose a little bit on batting and athleticism, but yeah, you know, Cool Deep can hold a bat, so he's not. He's, it's not a complete zero, and yeah, uh, and and the athleticism in the field, you obviously uh, miss out a little bit there. But um, as as far as I'm aware, uh, um, we're certainly going towards a place where uh, that that three spinners makes more sense with Cool Deep in that third role, especially on flat. I mean, wickets, that could be. You know, one of the best spin bowling trio in Test match cricket. It depends on how long Ashwin lasts, but you know, I mean, it was around. already even with Akshar, it was what the best. So mm. this just makes it even more dynamic, right? Yeah, because you got three different kind of spinners, and they're all pretty much at the top of their game. You know, especially in those conditions. Um, so yeah, speaking of spinners, you know, the most successful spinner in this game was actually not Indian. Shoaib Bashir was. Uh, you know, the hero for England, you could say he's pretty unfortunate to have ended on the losing side. Uh, made in five-wicket haul in test cricket in the first innings and then chipped in with three wickets in the fourth innings as well, right? Because he did his part. You can't blame him. And I didn't watch his bowling as closely as you did. So tell me just how good he was. I think the pitch really suited him. Um, mm. He... He doesn't overpitch very much. And this was a wicket that Tom Hartley does overpitch a lot. And Tom Hartley wasn't as useful. Uh, and so he bowls a little bit short. And on this pitch, you had to be careful of the short balls because occasionally they would hit something roll on the ground. Mm. And, and so people weren't just whacking them away. So he bowled a little bit shorter. But he's a little bit faster as well. And, and he's quite tall. So perhaps it's also the way he bowls. Look, I didn't see anything that suggested to me that he should instantly be playing in other places. But you've got a 20-year-old who took wickets on a helpful surface and they're going to play on more helpful surfaces. And he's got a lovely skill set that can be brought out in, in those sorts of uh, environments. So from that point of view, I think it's really good. I think he's got a long way of development left in him. But mm. it, it was, uh, I, I think it was good. Again, it's funny when England are losing, people go, oh, baseball doesn't work. I mean, Joe Bashir took eight wickets in this match. Uh, yeah. Do we think that is, you know, India, ha uh, sorry, England had another spinner that was going to take eight wickets on this pitch? What? I don't think that there was really, if we're being honest. Yeah. Uh, it was a quick fizz pick because of his uh, high release points and yep. all of that. And apparently, Ben Stokes saw him bowl to Alistair Cook in a short video clip and he was like, yeah, there's my guy. I mean, that's the story that we know. Uh, mm -hmm. Who's to say how how beautified it is when it, it comes out to the media? Anyway, uh, Ahmed Asrar has asked another question in Super Chats. And he says, don't, under don't understand why the World Test Championship final remains in the UK for third consecutive time. I'm sure BCCI can afford this at Wankede for an elusive ICC trophy. Thoughts? We've spoken about this in a previous Uncovered, I remember specifically. And I think it's the window also that kind of messes things up. Because There's in the summer, yeah. you cannot have a test match at the Wankede. Yeah, there's a few different reasons. Uh, to be honest, as far as I'm aware, no one's made a great claim. You don't pay for these events, by the way. So the BCCI don't have to pay for this. If they were to host it, they wouldn't pay for it either. The ICC would pay for it. That's part of the deal of hosting. The, it's the same with World Cups. 
and everything else. Um, however, yeah, it's, uh, I heard Sri Lanka wanted it and I, and, and, and they couldn't work out how quite to make it work. And there were some other issues obviously with the SLC at times as well. Um, but not that many other, I don't think that many other boards have actually actively wanted it in England really want it. They, they love, you know, they do the champions trophy and the world test championship kind of makes sense to the, you know, they've got, they colonized us all, right? So they have all of us back there as well. Um, so it makes a little bit more sense from a neutral perspective and also from a fan perspective. People don't have to travel to those games, um, but it will move. I mean, you know, it's it's new at the moment and, and mm. you know, it's, it's probably sometimes, you know, the World Cup became a thing where it meant a lot for you to host it, right? Mm. World Test Championship final hasn't done that yet. Once it does, there'll be a lot of boards around the world going, wait a minute, we can actually fit it in here. And, but it is, as Barham said, a lot of it is timing and it is a slightly better time for India, uh, for England to host it than some other places. Um, so there, there are some other issues there, but yeah, it will eventually move. It's silly that they've had it three times in a row. It does follow the tradition of the fact that they had the first three cricket world cups yeah, as well. It, it does. And there is an element of playing at Lords or the Oval in this as well. I'll tell you that a lot of players, even from the subcontinent, dream of playing in those conditions. Even though if you ask India, they'd probably say that they don't want to play the World Test Championship final in England again because two times unlucky. But uh, yeah, I mean, I expect it to move at some point, like Jared said. So let's see. Anish asks, have you guys seen the T20 World Cup ticket prices? Minimum ticket price for India games is $1.175. And all of them are sold out. You've got to be kidding me. Well, all of them are sold out. So they priced it right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they probably knew their market. I, my memory of the Major League Cricket games, and not Major League Cricket, the, um, the, the All-Stars game, Sachin and Warren was quite expensive as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're just pricing it for the American market and they know that people are going to pay for them. But I mean, that is ridiculous. That's way more expensive than you would ever have in anywhere else in the cricket world. But if they're sold out, then... Bayram makes a very good point on that. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what some of the crowds are for the non-Indian, um, non-Indian, non-Pakistani games, I think in America, you know, whether the neutral kind of fans turn up for those or people even travel for it because it's a novelty. Yeah. Also, there's a major diaspora crowd in the States, which is like dying to see international cricket over there. So they wouldn't care. How yeah, but that, it is. but that makes sense for India, Pakistan. But what I mean is, is that going to be the case for all the other teams? Oh, no, um, probably not. They're probably yeah. pricing the India games differently. Yeah, it would be my guess that it, mm. it would make a lot more sense if you priced the Pakistan-Indian games higher than any other game. Not just the India-Pakistan game. I mean, in games when India and Pakistan are there, um, because I would assume there was more of the um, Indian and Pakistan uh, people in the diaspora, as you said. Yeah. But but I don't know. And I haven't looked at the, the ticket prices, but... Hey, they sold them and, and you have them. I'm glad that you could just afford enough, Anish, to also give us a super chat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, 10 more of these super chats and maybe you can buy that ticket, right? I'll tell you one thing, though. I've lived in North America for 11 years and going to a sports game is always a hassle because they are priced like ridiculously. Like, I went to watch the Toronto Raptors once uh, play a shit game versus Sacramento, right? Sacramento is not one of those teams that is going to be highly priced. And for the worst tickets in the stadium, uh, I got them for 80 bucks back in the day. So Jeez. I can understand this. This is a North American thing. And they're targeting the Silicon Valley boys because there are lots of Indians and Pakistanis working over there. So that's their target audience, I believe. Um, coming back to the series, Ollie Robinson, Wisdom's favorite Ollie Robinson. He did score 58 crucial runs in the first innings. And you can say that, you know, they didn't Playing help. Because of course, 
Of course they did. But he bowled only 13 overs in the entire game. He went for 54 runs. So the you know uh, run rate was higher than four. And also did not bowl at all in the fourth innings. Hmm. He has more pieces for wisdom right now than wickets, basically, on this tour. And uh, would England I think you're the only one who reads those pieces, aren't you? <laughs> I, I never miss one. I always read them. <laughs> um, but I want to ask, would England have fared better if they'd picked, let's say, Rehan ahead of Holly Robinson? Well, I've, I've, I suppose they couldn't have picked Rayan. Even if they decided to pick him, he went home, didn't he? Um, mm. Maybe Atkinson would have been the other player that they would have picked. Um, I didn't think he bowled poorly when he bowled. He did go for a few runs. Uh, I, but he just it's the same as always. His first spell looks really good, and mm. then he looks slower, and then he looked uninterested. They said he was fit, but he didn't bowl at the end. I, I don't know what to do with Ollie Robinson at the moment. I think there's... I, I did a podcast with uh, Steve Harmison about it, and he was just saying, like, this is the cricket he plays. If he's not fit mm. enough to play it, what, what are we doing here? And, it, it, you know, he's 30 now, yeah. right? Like, it's the penny has to drop at a certain point, is what Harmy kept saying. Um, they said he was fit, and then they didn't bowl him anyway. So, yeah, from that point of view, if Ryan Armand was around, probably would have been the better choice. Um, you know, wristpin on that wicket, I think, would have been quite quite handy as well. But, they wouldn't have had Ray and Ahmed anyway, so it's kind of a moot point. But maybe Gus Atkinson. I mean, at one stage I'm making only Robinson ball bounces. I just like being hmm. tickled by Elmo, isn't it? It's not a real thing. Or, or, or as Matty Hayden likes to call them, seventy-eight mile per hour nude nuts. I can never forget that comment. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ollie is also kind of uh, his position in the team is I feel a bit under threat because Matthew Potts is doing really well for the Lions so he's knocking on that door and he has played for England already so it's not like you know he'll be debuting or something so maybe come next test series we might not even see Robinson inside I mean this is just me guessing they do like I mean he's averaging in the low 20s you just don't get rid of bowlers like that right but yeah as you said, Matthew Potts has bowled well when he's played for England Mm. Matthew Potts is going to try as hard in his fourth spell as he will in his second I don't know if Ollie Robinson does it try hard in his full mm. spell, but I know that he, he struggles to, like, physically actually bowl in, you know, uh, over long innings. He's just, whether it's injury, whether it's just general fitness, I don't know, but he can't do it. Yeah. Anyway, coming to more England performances in this game, of course, we can't not talk about Joe Root. He scored an unbeaten 122 in the first innings, and he finally scored some runs on this tour. I mean, he's bowled. More overs, I feel, than he has scored runs prior to this test match. And uh, 31 test runs for him. So, good on you, Joe. Where would you rate that 100 um, amongst other English 100s this series? We've got Ollie Pope's 196, which probably rates higher. Duckett's 150-odd. Yeah. Where where does Roots stand amongst these? I do think the pitch... Well, not the pitch. The ball got soft and that helped him. But he put his sweep shot away and I thought he played excellent and, you know, played all the way through. I, I thought it was just a proper... Joe Root innings on on a wicket that he he was working out as he was batting, um, and he put them in a position to win that game. You can't ask for anything mm. more than that. And he he looks so stiff when he tried to bowl in this Test match. I don't know why mm. they're try, still trying to make him bowl. Um, and I think we now know just how much I suppose say damage the bowling did, but it's probably just tiredness and and stiffness it caused. Mm. Um, and uh, good on him for finally making some runs. Maybe he couldn't sweep because his back was buggered. 
Hmm. I mean, that's what uh, Mark Butcher said as well, that you can't expect Joe Root to deliver those sort of knocks if he's bowling that many overs. And that's just, it's common sense. Is that right? why Mark Butcher didn't bowl more? I always wonder. <laughs> his little 70 mile an hour um, outswingers, uh, we all miss them. The, the Surab Ganguly of England, no one ever called him. Yeah. On this tour, Joe Root's average, test match average, has dropped below 50 again. I know it's oscillated you know, 49 to 50, 49 to 50 for like the last 50 to 60 test matches. I've been following this very, very closely. I'm oh, it's obsessed incredible. With the, yeah, yeah, the 50 average, I'm obsessed with that. So it's it's uh, incredible that he's, he's slipped again. And, you know, next time England play at home, maybe he'll go to 51 or something because mm. he was scoring hundreds for fun not too long ago. That was the one good thing happening for England when they were losing. Joe Root was scoring runs. Everything else was gone. Anyway, uh, last point, I suppose. Uh, Zach Crawley, he scored a lot of runs this series. We didn't expect that. Uh, in this test match too, he scored 102 runs, 42 in the first innings and uh, 60 in the third. We didn't foresee this at all. I didn't. If, if you go back, I did write that I thought there were some things about Zach Crowley's game that might help them in baseball in India. Having said that, I really think that if India had bowled spinners to him as an opening bowler more often, he wouldn't have made as many runs. He really has struggled with the spinners in this series. That's why I was so impressed with the, the knock he played in the third innings because uh, I thought he played the spinners much better. He's, he runs down the wicket and he's terrible when he runs down the wicket and he sweeps and he's not very good when he sweeps. I he's, he's a big, massive guy. Just take a big step down the wicket and you know play a traditional shot or slap it back over the bowler's head. And I and too often he's he's just got too complicated against spinners, and I don't think he needs to 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 do that at all. Um, but yeah, this is the best I've seen him bat. But he hasn't really gone on. And again, his batting average is, is still like thirty two. And if he has next test, next couple of tests, he gets a couple of early ones that you know uh, that nip past him. He's still in a position where his bat batting average is at thirty, and it's fine at the moment because in baseball they're going to let him be Zach Crawley. It's uh, the baseball isn't going to last for 10 or 15 years or the atmosphere of baseball isn't going to last for 10 or 15 years or however long he plays eight years, I suppose. Um, he's so, so he's got to actually get his batting average up at a certain point. Yeah, no, no, I definitely feel that as well. I mean, it's incredible that he got that run in the first place because after that 260 odd versus Pakistan, he didn't have a score forever. They stuck with him and Bren McCollum really likes him. Uh, he's earned his cigars, as you said previously, uh, definitely in this test match as well. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see where his arc goes. I feel like he could be a limited overs option at some point, given his game. Yeah, I think they played with him when they've had that sort of, not the second 11s, but, you know, the, the sort of backup teams out there. I mm. think he's played a little bit... Um, mm. it, yeah, he's in their mind, but they have so many white ball options. You know, I'm not mm. sure if they need him as well. Yeah, well, we shall see. And that wraps up India versus England. We're going to take a short break. You're watching Overthrows with Jared and Behram. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this ad. Welcome back to Overthrows. You're with Jared and Behram. And uh, New Zealand and Australia played a T20 series. Australia are touring New Zealand. They're going to play test matches later as well. But yep. the three-match test series, Australia have whitewashed the home team 3-0. And in the first game, they chased down 216 on the final ball of the game, which was uh, incredible, a thriller for the ages. And uh, they also became the first team to concede a score of 200-plus in T20 internationals for four games in a row. And it's bizarre that they won three of those four games. And uh, this one was courtesy of uh, captain Mitch Marsh. He scored an unbeaten 72 of 44. 
And he's a lock for the T20 World Cup. We all know that. Tim David also scored 31 off 10. I think he hit the winning runs as well. And uh, they clearly don't lack the firepower, do they, Australia? No, I, that game, so I caught the end of that game. Uh, that last ball was great bowling, great batting, great fielding. I don't know if I've ever seen like a game come down to a moment where everyone did exactly what they were supposed to do. Get it into the block hole, um, muscle it away into the gap, and then dive at absolutely full pace. Uh, I just thought it was you know, a remarkable um, end to a game. I didn't watch much of the series. Someone, um, some, uh, and I don't want to have too much fun, but some young guy tweeted this week, um, you know, Jared Kimber and, and, and great cricketer, they're, they're pandering to the Indian audience by covering all, the, all this Indian cricket. And Jared should be doing a podcast a week on Australian cricket. And I'm like, I've been covering global cricket since 2008. The mm. idea of me doing a podcast once a week on Australian cricket. Do you have any idea how much money I would have to be paid to do that on any on India, on England, mm. on any team, right? Maybe I would do it on like center nations or Asian nations or I don't know, uh, something like that. But you know me, I get absolutely bored out of my mind. But I did enjoy that particular game uh, of what, what I saw of it. But yeah, I haven't followed this series at all other than it exists and, and it seems very high scoring. But I suppose that's quite common for New Zealand, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, 200 getting chased down in New Zealand isn't one of those things that surprises you per se. And uh, Australia, I mean, if they were conceding 200 plus scores versus the West Indies at home, where the grounds aren't that tiny, then conceding 200 plus runs in New Zealand, I don't know, it kind of adds up, right? Uh, what is Steve Smith still doing in this squad? I don't understand it. You've got Head, Warner and Mitch Marsh as your top three. Why are we even seeing them try Steve Smith right now? Because he doesn't even get a gig in the IPL. Okay, Smudger is the test match opener now, so he's got other things to think about. It just doesn't make sense to me. Because he wants to be in it. <laughs> that simple as that? Yeah, I can't think of he another reason. Um, I mean, I think they like him as that kind of potential anchor occasionally on on trippy, mm. trickier wickets the the we don't know what the world cup's going to be like mm. um you know uh, we could get some slow and low dodgy kind of you know cple type wickets and who knows what the american some of the american wickets might be like no one knows what they might be like right yeah. uh, maybe having that kind of anchor in available to you in the squad is not the the worst thing in the world but if you if you want my honest opinion it's probably cuz Steve Smith wants to play in them mm. interesting because Head did get some runs. He scored a quick fire 45. Warner is Warner. And Mitch Marsh has been a revelation, right? He he might even go on to captain them in the World Cup for all we know. Because Pat Cummins is available in the series. But Mitch Marsh is captaining them. So, I mean, that seems like one of the most sturdiest top threes I can think of, right? So, that's why I was a bit surprised. But yeah, you make a solid point about the surfaces in the Caribbean and how Steve Smith could potentially be a good option to have, if not anything, on the bench at least. Mm. Um, Adam Zampa. You know, went for 42 runs in his three overs in the first T20. And he came back strongly, took five wickets in the remaining two games. And in the second game, he got four for 34. I believe Mitch Marsh has even spoken about this, how he will be Australia's most important bowler in this T20 World Cup. He has won the ODI World Cup and played a crucial role over there as well in, in conditions that suited him. And the Caribbean will suit him, provided Australia get there, which I'm pretty sure they will. So, yeah, I, you'd have to say that statement is correct. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if he's the most important, but yes, I mean, he's played in the CPL before. Um, those pitches should suit him. Uh, 
Has he won two World Cups? Did he win the T20 in 2021 as well? Yes, he did. He won the T20 World Cup as well. In fact, uh, he played really well in the T20 World Cup in the UAE. So, yeah, he's definitely primed for these conditions. Yeah, I think I think that's probably fair. Um, maybe that's more of a comment that the uh, the seam bowlers aren't strike bowlers as much anymore as well, which might also be a part of why he said that. Hmm. Anyway, uh, let's come to New Zealand now before we wrap this up. And uh, of course, when you get whitewashed three nil, there's generally not much to write home about. But there were some positives. The Chennai Super Kiwis, Devin Conway and Rachin Ravindra, they got sixty odd each hmm. in the first game. Glenn Phillips has gotten consistent runs, uh, 40-odd over here, over there. And and he, we all know his buffer overs will also be crucial in that Caribbean World Cup. And Lockie Ferguson in the second game got 4 for 12. So ever since that ODI World Cup, I've seen that Lockie has really all of a sudden upped his game and he's back into the conversation. Trent Bolt will be back in this team for the T20 World Cup. That's kind of a given. So even though they've gotten whitewashed, they still look fairly strong as a unit, I'd say. Yeah, yes, um, I, I, mean, I think we're pretty used to Australia beating New Zealand, so I don't know if we take too much out of you know that that side of things. I, I don't know what happens when New Zealand play Australia in general, but they just don't seem to step up correctly. But yeah, I think you're right. You look throughout the entire squad, and I don't think there's anything. I, I don't know where they'll rank in my you know my, my guess of of how how teams will go, but. Um, you can you can certainly see why they might be in a situation of um, uh, of of still causing teams problems in that World Cup. Um, you know, the the spin bowling is probably might be a problem in, in a World Cup mm-hmm. like that. But everything else they kind of have, right? Yeah, I mean, if Bracewell comes back and they have Bracewell, Santner, Sodhi, then even the spin bowling isn't looking too terrible. And Ravindra, if he plays, then that gives them more then it options. Does look, even though then it does look terrible. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Glenn Phillips, yeah. Glenn Phillips bowling four overs as Mitchell Santner and Ratchet Ravindra play as batters is what I'm looking hmm. for. And what do you know? My mom is here. She says, hi, Zarina Kazi. That's never happened on Uncovered. I didn't even know that she knew that I was recording. Um, so, hello, mom. Hello, uh, also, Bayram's another super mom. chat. <laughs> Swami Nathan Ramesh Sashi has given us another super chat. So, he asks, oh, sorry, why, I didn't do, that. Oh. why do the nicest guys in cricket play Kugline? I, I I don't know. Not sure about that one. He gets gigs yeah. in T uh, Twenty cricket as well, on the regular. Yeah, he's played a fair bit. It's a, I think it's a fair question. Um, he was found gu- not guilty. If uh, it, but of course, for those of us who followed the trial a little bit, it was icky. Even if it was not guilty, I think that is very safe to say. Um, but yeah, he plays for a lot of teams around the world, so mm-hmm. it's not just a New Zealand thing. Um, from a legal standpoint. I think they would find it hard to suspend him or or not play him um, once he was found not guilty. Um, I don't know what kind of contracts Cricket New Zealand have and all those sorts mm. of things. But but yes, it's a very good point. And yeah, and to be fair, it's brought up quite regularly when when we talk about him. Yeah. And I think that's fair. Um, anyone who, as I said, followed that uh, and what the judge said specifically, uh, I think at the end of the case, I, th- I think we know that um, you know Kugeline has. Uh, done something that probably a lot of us are never going to forget, right? Hmm. Also, back in the day, we mentioned, I I know it was another podcast, you guys can go look for it, but we spoke about how Makai and Dini, you know, he was uh, charged before the 99 World Cup and the world kind of forgot about it. But I don't think the world, the way, you know, it has evolved and the awareness has spread and social media and all that stuff, 
people won't be forgetting about things very easily. Every time Kuglain plays, I hear something about that. Every time yeah. Ramachane plays, I hear something about that. I was right? going to say, and also, you know, Ronaldo um, got it a lot more than Kobe Bryant did. And then obviously, they, they, you know, both had similar kinds of allegations, but it was just the different times in which it happened, right? Like, it, mm. I think that is very, very fair. It's never mentioned with Kyrantini anymore, right? Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, there are certainly other players with many, many issues over the years that have been reported or haven't been reported and, you know, all sorts of things uh, that have gone on. Um, we're in an era now where those things stick a little bit more and, and Kugelin's going to have to deal with the fact that kind of every time his name's brought up, some, someone's probably going to mention it. Yeah. Like like and, you just uh, have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. And and I see this on social media all the time. Like whenever these people play, they make it their life's work to mention, you know, the, the allegations and, and the charges. And and I think that's a good thing. I think that because they kind of went unscathed, at least the social media check, I suppose, is important. And oh my god, my mother is interacting with Pratik Jha in the comments. Amma, you should probably not come to this podcast. I get sworn at at times as well. Wait, anyway. What time is it where your mom is? Oh, my mom is nocturnal. She never sleeps. Oh, my God. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's quite interesting. Whenever I'm done with our shows and I go back to the house, uh, yeah, she's always up. But anyway, Sri Lanka versus Afghanistan, which is our yes. last topic for overthrows. Now, the last time we spoke, Jared Sri Lanka was leading the T20I series 1-0 with two, day, two games to go. They did win it 2-1. And in the second T20I... You know, they won quite comfortably. And even though Sadira Samra Vikrama was the leading run scorer for Sri Lanka with the 42 ball 51, this game was all about Angelo Matthews, right? Unbeaten 42 off 22 and also took two power play wickets. Estelle shared with us in our, you know, uh, work group that 77% of Angelo's T20I wickets have come in the power play, which is 33 out of 43. And that I found incredible. That's because he took 20 wickets in the World Cup semi-final in 2009. <laughs> um, I was at that game. Uh, completely ruined the game. I think Dilshan made runs early on. And then uh, I think Chris Gale's at the non-strikers end. And they lose <laughs> three wickets in a row. It, it was just bizarre, um, the whole thing. And, and Chris Gale ended up playing a great... Un you know, people always say Chris Gale's a choker. I was literally there at a semi-final where he, you know, tried to carry his team on his own. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it, I think... Um, He's, he's just good at nibbling the ball around. And and also, with someone like him, we probably now know more about why he's successful. It's the ability to move the ball both ways that I think he always mm. had. Um, probably gives him just a, a bit, bit of an advantage. He's, he's accurate. And he also, he thinks like a batter. Um, it's just a physical thing with him. I mean, Angelo Matthews is, was one of the greatest cricket athletes ever when he was, what, mm. 22 to 27. And he's just not been that way anymore. And it's affected his bowling. Uh, he was never going to be a frontline bowler, um, but he's a clever, handy bowler at times. And uh, it's, it isn't, th this is, I was going to say the year, but the, the last 12 months have been the Angelo Matthews 12 months. He's everywhere at all times. And I'm, I'm here for all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think after getting timed out, Angelo's arc has kind of gone north once again. And it's amazing that even at this age, he's, he's relevant. And now I, I'd suppose that he'd start in the T20 World Cup because they're sticking around with him, right? Um, but yeah, Sri Lanka batting and the shaking. bowling, man. Yeah, yeah. What else do you want, really? Uh, even even the tweeting, because he, he's been quite active. He's been very, very vocal. <laughs> Let's go to Afghanistan for a second. And they did win that final T20 International. And uh, Hazratullah Zazai is back in an Afghanistan shirt. He scored 45 off 22. And he's partnered up with Ramanullah Gurbaz, who we all know is very explosive. And in that game, he got uh, 70 off 43 as well. Mm. 
And now that looks like an opening partnership to me that could really win Afghanistan some games because, yes, they want Ibrahim Zadran as that anchor. And mm. he's also captaining the side in this series. But if they can open with Zazai and Ramanullah Gurbaz and even one of those guys comes off, right? All of a sudden, their score is 20-ish runs more than what it would have been because those guys are really, really explosive. So, yeah, I think this is a solid move for Afghanistan. Do you know, in the old days, they used to quite often have two attacking opening batters, but they didn't have anything to go with it. Like, hmm. like if it didn't work, then you just had the middle order suddenly, suddenly batting too early who weren't skillful enough to do that. They now have the ability to have two attacking opening batters and then have an anchor later on if they need him. Um, it's a much more solid setup than we've seen in a long time. And who knows how they'll go in the World Cup, but, um, you know, what we've seen from them is just smart smart cricket o over a period of time um that were probably outplayed um by sri lanka all the way through but um uh uh good signs i suppose is what is is your point which i would agree with yeah and i mean they have finally gotten a win on this tour they were losing everything and let's not forget rashid is not here right now he's in recovery so once rashid is back and if they get to the Caribbean leg of the tournament and they've got their explosive openers firing and have an anchor in Ibrahim Zadran with guys like Mohammad Nabi and Omar Zaik chipping in with the high strike rate scores in the middle order, then this is a very formidable unit. I would have to say that this is the strongest Afghanistan team that is ever going to play in the T20 World Cup. And I, I think, uh, yeah, uh, I'm excited. You're to saying they're going to win? Not win, but uh, yeah, I mean, they could definitely... You know, they won four out of nine games in the ODI World Cup. Spoiler I team. I think they have... Spoiler they, team. I think they might be a bit more than the uh, spoiler team. I Ooh. think they might have a better than 50% record. Yeah. Okay. Because this is T20 cricket. This is their format. Um, on to Sri Lanka. Let's discuss them a bit before we kind of move on to Uncovered. Um, Patham Nisanka, once again, you know, we've seen him being reborn in this series, uh, both the ODIs and the T20s. He was retired hurt for 60 of uh, 30, I believe. So 200 strike rate. That's great. Kamindu Mendes scored 65 of 39. He was unbeaten. And this is the guy who used to bowl with both arms. And now he's mm. a batter. So great arc over there. He used to uh, bowl course, both arms. Now he bowls with none. <laughs> yeah, basically. Hasaranga is there, obviously. And he is a world-class player. And also the captain, Tikshana and him form a very, very formidable mm. spin bowling duo, which will be important in the Caribbean. Kusal Pereira, we've mentioned time and again how he's upped his game and plays quicker. And Pathirana is getting game time, so they've got that slinger over there as well. Mm. Sri Lanka, once again, you know, if you look at the skill set and the resources and what type of players they have at their disposal, they look formidable. But can they translate that in an ICC event? I mean, the bowling's fine. It's just whether the batting can be consistent enough. Um, you know, you, you, you win World Cups with bowling most, you know, more often than not. But you need your batting to be consistent enough to give your bowlers a chance. And uh, that's what we don't know, whether Sri Lanka are going to be able to do that against the top sides. They quite often look good against the medium sides and the, and, the, and the poorer sides. They need to consistently make runs against the best sides. If they do and their bowlers are fit, they're a huge chance. I mean, that last World Cup, their batters actually did the job for them quite, you know, uh, not the India game, but in a few other games. Um, but they didn't, they couldn't, their bowlers either underperformed or weren't fit. If they can hit that fully fit and they can make some runs, they give their bowlers a chance to win them a few games. I would say that with Rashid available, I think that Afghanistan might have a better team than Sri Lanka. Even though Sri Lanka have all of these resources, 
But it's your point. They do well against the weaker sides. But when it comes to playing the top nations, apart from England, they don't upset anybody. It's England who they always upset. That's that's the theme that we've seen over the last few World Cups. But uh, anyway, I think that brings uh, overthrows to a close. Uh, for those of you who joined us in the comments, thank you so much. Subscribe to this channel and Jared's other channel. And we will be back with another episode of the Overthrows podcast next week. So that'll be all. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baram Kazi and Estelle Vasudevan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recordings. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. If you make any content, Minbo Pro is the tool for you. Take your long format content and cut it and slice it for social media. This AI-inspired weapon will turn your one piece of work into so many clips. Try Minbo.pro now.